Are you a follower of Jesus Christ who's done being quiet? Are you ready to tell the world whose you are, totally, fearlessly, and unapologetically? And are you ready to smash that imaginary wall that supposedly divides your career and faith life? Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast, where we talk about living as a disciple of Christ in the world of work. Before we get to the content we have in store for you today, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Christians across the U.S. are rising up and banking with their values, and they are banking with Christian Community Credit Union. A trusted institution for over 65 years, Christian Community Credit Union is America's leader in biblical banking solutions. With low-cost auto loans, mortgages, personal loans, as well as products to help grow your money that include high-interest checking, savings, CDs, and so much more. The money you entrust with Christian Community Credit Union enables them to provide affordable financing to help churches and ministries grow. And with their new Cash Rewards Visa card, earn cash back while supporting Christian charities. It's time to bank with your values. Join Christian Community Credit Union today. Learn more at mycccu.com slash c-suite. That's mycccu.com slash c-suite membership eligibility required join other christian executives in running your business based on christian values to learn more visit the nehgroups.com Well, hey there. Thank you for stopping by the C-Suite for Christ podcast. I am your host, Paul M. Newberger, the founder of the C-Suite for Christ ministry. And boy, howdy, it's a blessing to have you here today. It just seems like everybody and their mother these days has a podcast. So the thought that you uh, would take time to pick ours means a lot. And I promise that I'm going to be a really good steward of your time Today, we got a good show lined up here. Our guest of honor is going to be none other than Wynne Briscoe. She is the new chapter president of the C-Suite for Christ Maryland chapter. So she is the newest licensee in the C-Suite for Christ family. And I think you're going to recognize in about a few minutes after she starts to open her mouth about what a tremendous blessing she is and why we're so excited to have her in the ministry So if you're listening in the Maryland area or in that general vicinity, you're going to want to stick around because she is running the chapter that you might elect to join at some point. Real quick, I just want to clear up a potential misconception that's out there about the C-Suite for Christ ministry. One of the things that I really want you to know, so if I were to put together a list, let's just say I take out a piece of yellow legal paper and I number it 1 to 50, And those 50 things are going to represent all the things that we do at C-Suite for Christ. Basically, our primary motivations for existence. And I put them in priority order. So the number one reason is here. The number two reason is here. The number three reason is here, et cetera, et cetera. I can tell you, primarily, we are not a networking group. 
I would doubt that's even in the top 15. Primarily, we are not a professional development organization. Now, please don't get me wrong. I mean, we do network together, of course. I mean, we're a group of thousands of executives all over the world. That's going to happen. And sure, when we get together for our monthly gatherings and our weekly ministry options, we're going to learn from one another. So naturally, that professional development piece is going to be there as well. Those things happen. But primarily speaking, first and foremost, in the top 10 lists of reasons why the C-Suite for Christ ministry exists, we're not a networking group. We're not a professional development organization. I don't believe executives today need more networking. I also don't believe that executives today need more professional development. What executives need more than at any other time in the history of the world is Christ. That's what executives need. And that's what we offer. I think one of the best compliments I ever receive. So our home office, as well as all of our satellite chapters all over the world, we have a monthly gathering. Once a month, come together. Once a month, pray for each other. Once a month, disciple each other. Once a month, encourage each other. I think the best piece of feedback, the best piece of praise that I can ever receive is when someone says, Paul, I always look forward to see Sweet for Christ Day because this is the one day all month that I don't have to be on. That's exactly what I'm looking for. You have to be on. If you're networking, you have to be on. If you're doing a 60-second elevator pitch, you have to be on. If you're trying to earn referrals from other people. As executives, we're always on. We have to sell, and we have to lead, and we have to make tough decisions, and we make so many public appearances. We're always on, and some executives don't have the off switch. Well, at C-Suite for Christ, you check your title at the door. You check your organization at the door. You check your work history at the door, and you show up as a busted, broken, horrible, disgusting sinner just like the rest of us and allow other executives to breathe life into your soul. I call C-Suite for Christ basically a spiritual gas station. This is where you come once a month for a fill-up on Christ. This is where you come once a month to have life breathed into your soul by people that have walked in your shoes before. It's our goal to cover the world in Christ. That's a heavy lift. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. We can't do it by ourselves, and it would be a blessing to have you join us in our efforts. So please go to our website, which is csuiteforchrist.com. Register to attend a gathering as a guest, but if you're really feeling God's pull, hey, I want you to honor the Great Commission. Hey, I want you to be a part of this movement that is aspiring and obsessing to take corporate cultures back for Christ. We'd love you to become a dues-paying member. Again, csuiteforchrist.com. I've been very open in the past about some of my struggles with mental health. Well, one of the other struggles, this is sort of synonymous with mental health, but one of the other struggles that I've had is borderline perfectionism. I don't know if you can relate to that, but when we talk about borderline perfectionism, what I mean is it, it's just like things are never good enough. And this is this has been, I guess, a hallmark of my life ever since I was a kid. I, I, I had still do have two very 
loving, supportive parents. It was just ingrained in my life and my brother's life growing up that if you were going to do something, you had to be really, really good. If, if we're going to go to school, you might as well get A's. And if we didn't get A's, you know, let's talk about that. You got a B plus. What happened? Again, my parents never yelled. My parents didn't beat us. My, my parents never said, you guys are idiots. I mean, none of that stuff ever happened in their own loving, nurturing way. However, during those really formative years of my life, it just got ingrained into my brain that, gosh, unless I get an A, I'm doing something wrong. Sports was a big part of our life growing up, too, continues to be. Now, my brother and I, my brother's 38, I'm 40, so, you know, we're not playing competitive sports all that much outside of maybe, you know, some little recreation stuff here or there. But sports was a big part of our life growing up. We played it in school. We played it in other leagues, be it baseball, basketball, primarily. I played football for a year. I got killed. I had a terrible coach when it came to football. I was like 6'1", about the same height that I am now, but I was like 80 pounds. I'm talking about like Somalian refugee skinny, and he had me as an offensive guard. I guarantee you that guy never coached another game in the rest of his life because I got pummeled, scared the bejeebas out of me, and I left football. Anywho, sports was always, again, like a big part of our life. But again, back to that same mantra. If you're going to play sports, you're not going to be a bench warmer. You might as well be an all-star. You might as well be the captain of your team. So again, I could go four for four with four grand slams, but if I made that one or two errors, at shortstop or on the mound or whatever the case is, I heard about it. Again, not in a yelling way, but, you know, you're going back, hey, what'd you think? Yeah, not bad, but gosh, what happened at shortstop? So it, it just got ingrained, and that manifested itself over time. Well, obviously, what, what happens when you usually go to college or a university, you usually leave the nest. Some people you know, live at home during that point, that's fine. But that was really the first time I was truly on my own. It was the fall of 2001 when I graduated from high school and I enrolled in college. And what happened is now I didn't have a support system. I didn't have someone to watch me. I didn't have someone to check me. I didn't have someone that kind of saw my mood swings, maybe up one day, down the next day. I didn't have that life spotter necessarily. My parents could tell when something was wrong with me and they'd intervene. My brother could tell if something was wrong with me and he'd intervene because I had those people around me all the time. Sure. I had people in the dorms. Sure. I had a roommate for the first year and a half when I was in college before I became a resident assistant and had that whole big room to myself. That was sweet. Part of the great benefits of being a resident assistant. And there weren't many, but I'll tell you, that was one or two of the good ones. But I lost that safety net of people watching me, correcting me, looking out for me, maybe putting their foot down and intervening if something looked a little askew. And I don't mind telling you, I started to spiral out of control. I lost my balance. What little balance I had when I was in high school, I totally lost that. Again, back at least when I'm in high school and I'm living at home, my brother and I, we shared a wall. Our bedroom shared a wall. So if Brian was done with homework, he might come into my room. Hey, you want to go outside and shoot hoops? Sure. Or maybe I had nothing to do when I go into Brian's room. Like, hey, you want to play some PlayStation? Come on, let's play some John Madden or something. Sure, great. You, know, you had those people around that could break up your day. You had those people around 
that could intervene. You had those people around that might say, hey, why don't we hang out? It's been a little bit. I got nothing else to do. Come on, I'm bored. But when you're living on your own and you don't have that and there's a lot of strangers that don't know what to look for, you don't have that support system. And that's what really started to hurt me because I didn't have those periodic breaks because I didn't have my brother or my parents or you know one of my friends that lived uh, right next door in that neighborhood to stop by. It's like, well, what am I going to do now? Well, maybe might as well just study a little bit more. Well, what am I going to do now? I don't know. Might as well, you know, add my resume by doing more here at school. Because what I wanted to do at the time is I wanted to become an orthopedic surgeon. I mean, I double majored in biology and chemistry. I minored in physics. That might be a shocker for you to understand that. But I used to be smart in a previous life. I really don't know what the heck happened, but... Anywho, that's a topic for another day. But when you're trying to get into medical school, you got to study, 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 study. When you're trying to get into medical school, you got to get great grades. You got to pad your resume. You got to be involved in all these different things. You got to get these testimonials. You got to get these endorsements. You got to make these connections. You got to do these internships. You got to have these, you know, off-campus jobs because, you know, I don't got mom and dad footing the bill. That's on me. I'm going to have to pay these student loans back. I'm going to have to pay for these books. Some of those books were like $300 for a textbook. I'm thinking, what the heck? Is this like the John D. Rockefeller University? What is going on here? And I became so wrapped up in all of that stuff that, like I said, I lost any balance that I had. And, and for me, I had this picture in my mind of what success looked like. Success for me was a perfect 4.0 GPA. Success for me was making connections with doctors and other people in the medical profession at the local hospitals and medical centers. Success for me was being the resident assistant and being the popular kid and dating the best looking girl and being a part of all these other clubs, be it intramural or the honor societies or Phi Beta Kappa or the biological honor society. And I could just never attain all of that. I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day. And when you add up the time that I'm in class and then the time that I have to study and then the time that I have to do these extracurriculars and then the time that I I'm involved in whatever it is, intramurals. I got this internship. I've I've got all these things going on. I could never do all of it. And I started beating myself up over it. Paul, if you were talented, you could do more than this. Paul, if you were smart, you wouldn't need to study so much. Paul, if you were all that you would like to be, you'd have these honor societies and these fraternities and these other associations just falling over themselves to get you to be associated with their group. Why do you have to work so hard to convince those groups of people that you're worth their time? Maybe you really do suck. And there's a difference, as I'm sure you know, there's a difference between the exterior you and the interior you. And some of us are pretty darn good at acting. I could have won seven Oscars and maybe three Golden Globes when I was in college because I faked it intensely before I cracked, which I'll get to in a second. But before I cracked, nobody would have guessed anything was wrong. Nobody would have guessed any storm was on the horizon. 
I was smiling. I was happy. I was engaging people. I was the big man on campus. They saw me everywhere. Nobody would have had any inclination that something was wrong. Can you relate to that? Maybe you're wearing a mask right now. Maybe you're wearing a mask for your boss. Maybe you're wearing a mask for your family. Heck, maybe you're even wearing a mask for yourself. And what starts to happen, and again, maybe you felt this, those masks are really quite heavy. It's almost like a 50-pound lead weight that you're putting on your face. I know we have Halloween coming up here pretty soon, and maybe... You dress up, maybe your kids dress up, your grandkids dress up, and you see some of those masks, you know, like maybe like those really soft rubber masks or those really light plastic masks. They're easy to put on, easy to take off. The mask that I'm talking about, the mask that we use to to put on the type of image and exterior that we want the world to see, that's like a 50-pound block of granite. It's hard to put on. It's hard to keep on. And all you want to do is just take it off. But some of us don't have the strength to take it off. Some of us wouldn't dare take it off because we don't want the outside world to see what's really inside. We don't want the outside world to see our sins, to see our anxiety, to see our doubt, to see our worry, to see our depression. Really just to see what a big hot mess we truly are. And we all are. We all are. I'm, I'm the king of the hot messes. So doing that for as long as I did, as I've talked about on previous episodes, eventually I, I, I cracked. I, I had never cracked before. And it's not like all of a sudden I'm walking to class and I hear a pop and my back gives out. I, I just mean I had a breakdown. Couldn't do it anymore. My parents pulled me out of school. For uh, about two and a half weeks, three weeks, thankfully, again, really supportive parents. Thankfully, a really supportive environment at my college where they gave me the time. No problem. Don't worry about the homework. We'll let your professors know you do you. It, it was a blessing, to say the least. And I remember, I mean, I needed like triage the first several days. I, I, I did a lot of psychotherapy, daily psychotherapy, just, you know, just let's make sure I can get through the day, basically, before we start talking about long term. And, and as I was as I was home, as I got, I didn't have to worry about grades. I didn't have to worry about performance. I didn't have to worry about my extracurricular. Suddenly, I went from a calendar that had absolutely no white space to a calendar where I had nothing else to do. Maybe maybe my my two hour psychotherapy appointment, then just sleep all day, which again was what I needed. I was able to. To think, I was able to to start to process a few things. I was starting to to turn the corner a little bit, and it was right around that time that I, I really started to have more conversations with my parents. And what my it was obvious what my parents were having a really hard time grasping was why I was so down, why I was why I just felt like such a incredible failure. Like when you would listen to me talk when I was going through this period in my life. You would have thought I was an unemployed, homeless drug addict that just murdered seven people. 
I mean, the way that I talked about myself, I was the worst human being on planet Earth. The way that I talked about myself, I was going to hell. The way that I talked about myself, God made a mistake and he produced this ugly, disgusting, horrible loser that's not worthy of anything good now and forever. That's how I thought of myself. And my parents were just it's it's like I was speaking Chinese. Paul, your lips are moving. I just don't understand what you're saying. And they would start to share some of those things with us, with me. Paul, you're a 3.9 GPA student at one of the top liberal arts colleges in the entire Midwest. You're you're not studying basket weaving or golf. You're, You're studying biology, chemistry, and physics. You're Phi Beta Kappa, which means you're one of the most talented academics in this entire school. You're well-respected by your peers. In fact, this was, but my breakdown was before what I was about to tell you, but when I graduated my senior year of the hundreds, whatever, whatever, how many students do we have? Four or 500 people in my graduating class? Of all the four or 500, I was picked number one to serve as class agent. That means the faculty picked me As the one student to represent my graduating class of 2005, the students picked me as the one person to represent the graduating class of 2005. Of hundreds of people, they picked me. On paper, it looked like I had the world by the tail. It looked like I was destined for greatness in anything that I did. But here I am talking like I'm headed for the electric chair. And it really all boiled down to what I was telling my parents. I'm not successful. I'm not prospering. I don't have much of a future. Because long litany of lists. My grades aren't as good as I thought. My popularity wasn't as high as I thought. My future wasn't as bright as I thought. I'm not doing enough. I'm not producing enough. I'm not busy enough. I'm not achieving enough. And finally, my parents just pretty much had to say, Hey, your definition of success is all out of whack. Let's bust down that previous definition. Let's break through that that impenetrable wall. Let's smash this old mindset and mentality that you're going through life with, and let's rebuild that together. My parents helped me with that. Psychotherapy helped me with that. But one of the things that I was missing the most during that tumultuous period in my life was my faith. And I think that that's true with a lot of college people. One, some students go to very liberal anti-Christian colleges and professors or students or on-campus organizations tell them this Christianity thing is a bunch of bunk. Get away from that. Thankfully, I didn't have that. But I had something that was just as bad. I was busy. And as, as you may know. Busy is an acronym. It stands for buried under Satan's yoke. Satan loves you busy. Satan needs you busy. Satan will do whatever he can to keep you busy. Because if you're busy, you're not going to go to Bible study. If you're busy, you're not going to pray. If you're busy, you're not going to go to church. If you're busy, you're going to be thinking about the task at hand as opposed to just kind of thinking about, well, you know what? I'm going to enjoy some intimacy with my Heavenly Father here today. Plus, if it was a Saturday and I was just at a fraternity party and I didn't go to bed until three o'clock in the morning, I'm not going to be going to church in a few hours. It's just not going to work. 
So what started to happen is I started to redefine success. And I started to see certain things. One, I got a ton of scholarships at one of the most prestigious schools in the Midwest. Two, my GPA, although not a four, is still quite high. And it's, again, I'm in some of the toughest classes this school has to offer. Three, look at all the activities I was accepted in. Look at all the jobs I was given. Look at all the praise I've been receiving. I've got clothes on my back. I've got shelter. I've got some good friends. I've got my health. The list started to go on and on and on. And I'm starting to think, well, hey, maybe I do have some success. Hey, maybe I am prospering in my own way. And hey, maybe I do have a future after all. How are you feeling about your future right now? Do you like your prospects for a successful future? Now you can, I'm, I'm asking that question both personally and professionally. Maybe you're in a job that you hate. Maybe you're in a job that has no room for professional advancement. Maybe you're in a busted marriage. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe you're single and you just feel like, gosh, nobody from the opposite sex is interested in me. Maybe I'm a loser. Basically, the question boils down to this. When you examine your present, and then I were to ask you to look at your future, be it the next month, the next year, the next decade, are you filled with hope and optimism? Or are you filled with dread and anxiety? The good news is, Scripture has an answer for that. If you look at Jeremiah 29, verse 11, which is arguably, I believe, one of the most popular verses in all the Bible, it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, if you consider yourself a Christian, and it's my prayer that you do, one of the things that I hope you realize is that Scripture is without error. Scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is 100% totally perfect. And it's my prayer that you would agree with that. Because what happens a lot with Christians in society today, regrettably, is that they pick and choose. Well, I like this part of Scripture I like how this makes me feel. I like all the good stuff, but this other stuff that pushes me, challenges me, convicts me, maybe doesn't align with what I think society should be right now. I'm going to throw that stuff out. You cannot do that. You must not do that. If you want to avoid heaven, keep doing that. That's not possible. That's not advisable. That's not a good practice. So what I really want to emphasize is that Scripture is never wrong. Scripture is 100% right. You cannot ignore Scripture even if you try to. So when you listen to this, I want you to let this land. I want you to let this sink. I want this to go deep into the marrow of your bones. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Basically, he knows what's going to happen. It's, it's almost kind of like, and I've had this happen a few times, but like when you go to see a movie for the very first time, 
that's kind of a cool experience, whether it's a comedy, whether it's a horror movie, maybe it's a suspenseful thriller. How's this going to end? Well, look at all these twists and turns. I'm hanging on every single word. I'm hanging on every single scene because I don't know how this is going to end. It's like a really emotional experience that you go through. But have you ever had it where maybe you, you go to a theater to see a movie? It's so good. And you tell some buddies about it. Oh, man, I wanted to see that. Will you come with me on Friday? Please, 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 please. I got to see this movie. And you say, ah, fine, sure, I'll go with you. You said it's a good movie. You enjoyed the movie. But isn't that experience totally different? The ups and downs are less volatile. The surprises don't surprise you anymore because you know that they're coming. You know how this movie ends. That's God. God knows what's going to happen to you today. God knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. God knows what's going to happen to you next week. God knows what's going to happen to you until you take your very last breath here on earth. He knows what's going to happen. There's no uncertainty. Now, it's uncertain to you because you're seeing the movie for the very first time. You're experiencing the ups and downs for the very first time. You're experiencing the shocks and surprises, the good news and the bad news, the, the new characters that are introduced into the movie. You're experiencing all this for the very first time. But God is the director of this movie. God is the producer of this movie. God wrote the script for this movie, and he knows exactly how it's going to end. And if you've ever had this where being a movie and I, boy, sometimes, you know, my children, especially my my two older sons, I've got a son who's 11. I've got another son who's nine. My, my wife is a stay-at-home mom. So especially during the summer when they don't have, obviously, jobs like I do and they're not traveling like I am, you know, they, they've got a little bit more downtime. One of the things they like to do is watch a movie. And so, there's some pretty good PG movies. There's some pretty good PG-13 movies that are out there that are appropriate for my kids. They get to see it first. Dad, we saw the movie. Ah, God darn it. I wanted to see that. And then but what's always so dangerous is my kids. Oh, Dad, you're never going to believe how it ended. Stop, stop, stop. Don't tell me. Oh, but when the kid, no, stop, stop, stop. And then we watch the movie and God, they just like want to be the first one to say it because it makes them sound, you know, more important or special or something like that. Oh, remember, this is the part where the guy falls in love. No, I come on. Let me see that. Like they've already seen it. They know how it ends. I just don't want them to spoil it for me. God's about to give you a spoiler alert. And here it is. God has seen this movie. God has produced this movie. God has directed this movie. God has written this movie. Here's how it ends. He's going to prosper you. He's not going to harm you. He's going to give you hope and a future. It's all there in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. God has seen this movie. God produced this movie. God wrote this movie. And whether you want to hear it or not, here's how it ends. You're going to prosper. You're not going to be harmed. You're going to be given hope and a future. This verse, for the most part, should vanquish anxiety from our minds, should vanquish, vanquish 
doubt from our minds should vanquish depression. Now, I know that there's a psychopharmacological reason for some of these things. So if, if you have anxiety, and even if you believe Jeremiah 2911, you live Jeremiah 2911, you memorize Jeremiah 2911, I don't want you to feel there's something wrong with you if you still go through those human emotions because, again, that's normal. But the last thing I want to call your attention to is part of the reason why I started the issue when I started this conversation with you here today. The biggest issue that I had is my definition of success was wrong. My definition of success was all those things that I talked about. I'm dating the prettiest girl. I've got a six pack Abadabas. I'm getting a 4.0 GPA. I'm going to be like Doogie Hauser. I'm 21 and I'm doing brain surgery. Like, like, like those are my definitions of success. There is a word in Jeremiah 29:11 that you need to ensure you are defining correctly. Otherwise, even though you know this verse, believe this verse, live this verse, could still make life really challenging. And that word is prosper. Prosper does not mean you're going to get rich necessarily prosper does not mean you're going to be popular necessarily prosper does not mean you're going to be super healthy necessarily prosper does not mean you're going to be famous necessarily now it might be god's plan that you become rich and famous and you're on the cover of every magazine and you got a billion social media followers that could be god's plan for you nothing wrong with that but in today's secular society the world's definition of prosper is not heaven's definition of prosper the world's definition of prosper is all the things that i talked about money fame success accomplishments popularity. You're infamous. People know who you are. Paul M. Newberger? Oh, of course. You've been living under a rock? Of course we know who that guy is. That's the world's definition of prosper. So when we look at Jeremiah 29, 11, through this world's lenses, that's what we start to think. Well, I'm not rich. This is full of crap. I'm not super skinny. This is full of crap. Nobody's watching me on social media. This is full of crap. I don't have a six-pack abs. I got a keg. This ain't this ain't working. My kid's not in the NFL. I didn't win my race for elected office. What's with this God thing? That's not prosper. How many minutes of every day do you wonder where your next meal is going to come from? How many minutes out of every day do you worry about your life being taken away by an armed militia? How many day how many times a day do you worry about getting medical care that's accessible or having clothes on your back or being able to take your next breath? And if you're like the vast majority of people, the answer is never. I don't worry about where my food's going to come from. I got a fridge that's stocked. I don't worry about if I can go, if a dentist will see me because I just pick up the phone and I can go. I don't worry about an armed militia storming my house because we live in a free society. God has already blessed you beyond comprehension. You are already prospering. 
because you're alive, because you're free, because for the most part, you're healthy, because you have autonomy to live your life how you best see fit, because you've got people in your life that love you, because you're respected, because you have the ability to earn money, because you've got the talent and these gifts that God has so generously bestowed upon you to touch lives and make the world a better place. God is already prospering you if you understand that the definition of prosper in a heavenly realm is different than the definition of prosper in the human realm. And even if you're, you're telling me, Paul, I don't know, man, I just went through a very acrimonious divorce. I lost my job. My home is about to be foreclosed on. I got diagnosed with cancer. I'm in a third world African country where there are militias storming, you know, the various citizenry. Again, I think I don't... I, to go through all of that in a short amount of time, I'm not saying it's impossible, but there's got to only be like two or three people that could ever claim all of that stuff. So if you're one of those people, okay, maybe life right now is a little bit more challenging. But even if it's challenging today, how does Jeremiah 29, 11 end? I've got plans to give you hope in the future. It might be tough now, but it won't be tomorrow. It might be stormy now, but it's going to be clear and sunny tomorrow. You might be underwater now, but don't worry. I'm reaching under and I'm about to pull you up. Jeremiah 29, 11. Memorize it. Learn it. Obsess about it. Live it. And one of the people who is living that verse every day is Wynn Briscoe. She's the president of C-Suite for Christ, Maryland, and she's going to be coming up here on the other side of the break. I can tell you one of the individuals who has helped me prosper professionally is my good buddy, Tom Feldhusen. Tom Feldhusen is an executive advisor. Sure, he does business coaching. Sure, he makes me be the best leader that I possibly can be. But Tom's expertise is in one of these blind spots that just about every leader has, personnel. Do I have the right personnel? Are they in the right seats on the bus? If I'm trying to bring in additional personnel, how do I find them? And is this person really all they cracked up? Are they cracked up to be? Because anybody can sound good in a 30-minute interview. Anybody can fluff and pat a resume. Then you bring that person on. Next thing you know, who is this person? My goodness, you're the exact opposite of who I thought you were. Having Tom Feldhusen, executive advisor on my team, on your team is one of the best ways to guarantee personal and professional success. So if you want to reach out to Tom, here's his phone number, 262-305-2502. And when you reach out to him, please let him know that Newberger sent you. We're going to take a real quick break, and we're going to be back with Wynn Briscoe. Don't go away. Need a trade show display, a lobby renovation, Heck, how about help with an event that you're hosting? Captivate Exhibits can do it all. Plus, they're an outspoken faith-based organization that puts Christ first in all that they do. Ready to captivate the attention of the masses? Then check them out today at CaptivateExhibits.com. That's CaptivateExhibits.com. All right. Well, just uh, about 60 seconds or so away from our guest of honor, Wynn Briscoe, the brand spanking new chapter president 
of C-Suite for Christ Maryland. She's still got that new chapter president smell to her, which is really pretty neat. But before we bring Wynn on, I, I just want to use that as, I guess, a foundation to share with you an option on, on how you can help us cover the world in Christ. If you're a follower of this program for a while, or maybe this is the very first episode you've ever listened to, I just want to let you know, for us, you, you, you'll see this on social media. You'll see this in a lot of the things that we put out there. We talk about covering the world in Christ. That is so much more than just a very simple marketing slogan. We don't just put that out on social media. We don't just slap that on a T-shirt and sell it for a couple of bucks. Covering the world in Christ is 100% totally rooted in the Great Commission. As you undoubtedly know, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his followers to go into the world making disciples of all nations. And, and we take that very, very seriously. We are not a quiet organization. We are not a sidelines organization. We are very evangelical, and until our dying breath, we're going to do everything that we can to shine light in this very uh, dark world. And, and we need more people like Wynn Briscoe, who you're going to meet here in a second. So in addition to potentially becoming a member of C-Suite for Christ, in addition to subscribing to this podcast like you're doing now, has God ever just been like nudging you to do more? Has God been asking you to use your the talents that he gave you for his glory as opposed to your own glory? Well, if so, maybe just maybe you're being called to become a C-Suite for Christ licensee and plant a chapter of our ministry somewhere in your neck of the woods. The last thing I'll say is, again, you wouldn't be starting from scratch necessarily. At the timing of this podcast recording, we have over 107,000 200 followers just on LinkedIn. There are so many followers of our organization in your neck of the woods. They're looking for this ministry. They're asking for this ministry. And potentially, you might be the person to help bring this ministry to your area. So if you're interested at all, go to our website to learn more, csuiteforchrist.com. One person who has answered the call that God put on our heart, and boy, howdy, she's quickly become one of my all-time favorite people, is Wynn Briscoe, the president of C-Suite for Christ, Maryland, and she's joining us on the program right now. Sister Wynn, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, Paul? Well, I'm always a little bit better when I'm talking to you. It's it's kind of funny how that works. <laughs> yes, definitely. It has been a journey for us, has it not? It sure has, and it's been amazing to see God's hand at work. It's been amazing to see all the things that he's done uh, to bring this chapter to fruition, and very excited to have you starting to share some of your story with our audience here. But to get us going, when uh, as we've been talking through uh, talking about throughout the course of this podcast, our verse today is a pretty popular one. Uh, you'll see this hung in a lot of people's houses. You'll see, you know, when people commit scripture to memory, this is certainly one that they'll uh, put in their in their noggin for sure. Jeremiah chapter twenty nine verse eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So when to get us going, what does Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 mean to you specifically? For me, it's really a foundational scripture on how I move and navigate through life um, to know that God specifically has a plan for me and that it's a tailored crafted plan. And um, in my industry, we work with plans all day long, helping strategic plans for businesses and for entrepreneurs and, and organizations. So having a career in business and economic development plans 
are vital, but to know that God, the most sovereign God, who has so much dominion in the earth, has a very specific tailored plan for me, and that he is doing all he can alongside with my faith, trust, and obedience to his will to make sure that plan is fulfilled and that it is good and that the plan is for me to prosper and not to bring me harm and that it is for my future in such a way uh, that it's laid out before me. And so to me, I take this so personal because I am just in awe of the sovereignty of God, especially on this journey with you and I um, over the last 60 days. And to know that God's plans for us will always far exceed anything we can ever imagine. And um, and they are always good. And they are such a good hope for our future. Well, yeah, I think we're off to a, a solid start here. One of the things, when that I, and again, I, I know you can't speak for every single person listening to this podcast here today, but you know, you, you, you've talked about God's plan. You know, God has a plan for me. I'm trying to follow his plan. I, I know his plan is to lead me to, to goodness and prosperity as opposed to, you know, the other side of the coin here. But, but I guess at a basic level, how can you discern what God's plan is for you? I, I know people that are younger than me. I know people that are older than me that have said from time to time, well, I, I just wish God would tell me what my plan is. I just wish God would show me what he wants me to do. So I guess at a very basic level, when how do you discern what God's plan is for your life? For me, it's come over a journey of growing my relationship with God in prayer, reading his word and allowing him to speak to me in ways that he knows uh, specifically for me that I will follow. And for every individual, God does speak to us. He's always, you know, giving us instruction and giving us guidance. And we have to seek his face. But it's coming with building that relationship in prayer and to to grow that relationship with him so that you can receive that guidance that he has specifically for you. And so I would encourage anyone if they want to know what it is that God is laying on their hearts to do Pray, seek God and ask him specifically to show you and to reveal to you. And very often you will see the pattern that he has been giving you that you might not have been aware of, conscious of, where you can see the things that are in your heart, desires and passions and things you're naturally called to, the giftings that he's naturally given you. You can see those patterns when you reflect. And um, you'll be able to see when you take a, a pause and pray about it, he will reveal to you how all of those things link together in your calling and where you're supposed to be in life. Well, so one of the things that I want to do in this regard, I, I agree with your response, but but maybe being so outspoken about my faith on social media is, is making me jaded a little bit in the sense that. Uh, I, I, I get attacked every single day as I'm sure you do to some degree to win. And, and that's to be expected as it says in scripture, you know, uh, a servant is no greater than his master. So if they would persecute Jesus, of course, they're going to persecute us as well. 
And well, what I try to do to, to try to reach as many people as possible, I, I kind of have that devil's advocate mentality. You know, if I share this, what kind of criticism am I likely to receive? If, if I put this verse out there, what, what's the kind of pushback I'm likely to get? When I look at this verse, I love Jeremiah 29, 11. Absolutely. I'm trying to look at this with the devil's advocate mindset. So again, if it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Let's focus on that word prosper, because imagine if somebody right now says, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. Wait a minute, I'm praying. Wait a minute, I'm in the word. Wait a minute, I, I, I'm building a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yet my health isn't good. My wife just left me. I'm bankrupt. Bullcrap. Uh, God doesn't have plans to prosper me. Look at how my look at how my life is falling apart. What would you say to somebody that had that kind of a mentality in response to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? That's great, Paul. So what I would do is ask them to look at their history of their life and to see at what point of their life have they had a solid interaction with God. Right. Many times as Christ followers, we might um, take things from God's perspective as when we're having hardships or when there's trials or there's things that come through and we don't think about our part. And sometimes we have to look at it from a, a relationship of even humanity. Right. Of There's two people. There's two entities. And so what are we doing in our part to build our relationship with God? Number one would be that question. Number two, I would also ask them in their trials and in their hardships, what is God showing them? Because sometimes being in disobedience brings things in our lives as well that are hardships. So it would be an introspect that I would I would encourage them to really seek God's face. And if it's a Job moment where, you know, they've done all that was right and they still received hardship, uh, even in that there was a lesson, right? Even in that at the end, once he uh, made it through all of those trials, God gave him greater on the end. So we can't just naturally, when we want to play devil's advocate, we have to really kind of take a step back and introspect and say, God, what are, what are you revealing in this? Are you showing me that my relationship with you is very one-sided, where I come to you only when I need something? Or are you revealing in me areas where I need to grow, right? Or are you showing me that our relationship does not have a solid footing? Or are these trials to really help me to, to survive a test, right? That on the end, on the other side, is going to reveal God's glory even more in that testimony. So that was what I would encourage someone is to not just have that blanket resistance. Yes, we know hardships happen. We've all uh, you know incurred them and still will in humanity. But how we respond to them, Paul, I believe is really uh, what separates. You know, how do we take the pause and do we react or do we respond? Do we seek God's face and what happens with us? Or do we just naturally just assume and become, uh, you know, the negative response to that? I, I really would encourage people that, but again, that's a heart posture and, and that's in prayer. Yeah, and that's really good advice. And one of the things that I've been very vocal about uh, using this as a platform for sure is, is has been my struggles with mental health over the years. And and most recently, about two and a half years ago, I, I thought my career 
was going to be over. It was just a very vicious attack that I was getting. It turned out I was uh, diagnosed with pretty severe obsessive compulsive disorder, but I, I went offline for approximately two months, just uh, needed to get myself in order, needed to, you know, just kind of make sure that I was strong enough to continue to do the things that I needed to do. But in the middle of that, when I'm, when I'm not sleeping, when, when I'm having these, these horrible mental health attacks, when I'm thinking, man, maybe my career is over in the middle of that, it's, like you said, the Job moment. Gosh, God, why are you doing this to me? Gosh, God, what, what did I ever do to you? I, I thought you had plans to prosper me, whatever. But through that period of introspection, that's the thing, when that I think God was really trying to tell me. I was moving too fast. I was following the beat of my own drum. I was going off of the path that God wanted, and God needed to get my attention. And that was the best mm -hmm. way that I think he knew how to do that. And because he knocked me on my duff for two months, I had nothing to do but think, but pray, but meditate, but have that introspection. And I realized, wow, I am not living the kind of life that God wants me to live. And thankfully, I'm uh, as happy and healthy as I've ever been since. So that was me kind of living that story. I have no doubt when you've had your own experience with respect right. to this uh, this verse. What 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 story comes to your mind in terms of how this verse has played out in your life? Uh, most recently is just C-suite, right? Um, we're in, out of nowhere. We just connected again uh, in July and of this year, which is just a few months ago. And so when God brought you into my LinkedIn <laughs> to just uh, to, to reach out about starting a Maryland chapter, and um, responding to you and how God was so clear to me because God speaks to me audibly. You may speak to other people in different ways. Again, see God for yourself on that, but he speaks to me audibly. And he was so clear that morning when he said to me, you know, accept the commitment and be 10 toes down with this and don't worry about the funding, right? Just gave me that directive, be obedient, commit to this today. And so immediately when we hopped on and had our meeting, I told you that from the beginning, right? And so knowing that you had a background in, in sales or, or to be able to have a great presentation, and I didn't want to take, you know, the, the wind out of your sails, but it was like, I, I didn't need it. You know, it was obedience. God was telling me to do this and I was to be committed that day. And I did. And, uh, and he would provide, and he has. And so that's what this scripture means to me. That was, you know, we can read these things that were written by scribes thousands of years ago. But to live it, that's really what God is calling us to do, right? Our lives are living testimonies. We are walking around as modern day scribes. If anyone is just jotting down our daily interactions in life and writing them down, that would be what someone from thousands of years to come would be reading, right? What is the scripture of Paul today, right? For you, what would what would be your encounters uh, with God and, and, and the scriptures or the words according to me a thousand years you know, to come. And so when we look at what was written and how we walk it out now, that's what is tangible. Reading things with people in the past and understanding that, okay, this is not dead word. This is living word. We're reading thousands of years later 
and it's even more tangible to 2023 in the last 60 days of our encounter and how God has just proven himself to what he promised me in July has now, you know, manifested here we come in September of 2023. So that's how this this scripture uh, has come to life for me. It's, it's the living word. Yeah, and this process has been truly unique. I can tell you that uh, as the founder of this ministry, it's a blessing to report that we're at almost 20 chapters all across the world. And the fact that we started with about two to start 2023, to go from two to nearly 20 is absolutely spectacular. And again, it, the other blessing is, there's a lot of interest in becoming a C-suite for Christ licensee, people wanting to plant chapters in their areas. I'm running conversations, whatever, five, six a week with individuals who might want to become a licensee. So I've had a lot of conversations. Never, ever, ever have I had someone like Wynn in the initial introduction where I'm just trying to get to know more about this person, where I'm just trying to share information about the ministry, answer questions that they have. Never. Have I had somebody say, Paul, I'm Wynn Briscoe and I'm moving ahead. I don't care what you have to say. I'm moving ahead. Uh, it's rare for an international keynote speaker to be speechless, but I was pretty speechless. And um, yeah, God picked the absolute perfect person. Obviously, when you were part of this plan to join the C-Suite for Christ ministry, but as the leader of the Maryland chapter, I'd like to learn a little bit more about your plan. So as someone who has the opportunity to cover Maryland in Christ, as somebody who has the opportunity to push back against an ever-increasingly secular society, what are your plans to impact the Christian business community in the state of Maryland? That's great, Paul, um, and amazing that you were speechless. That was That was incredible. Only God, right? So my plans for Maryland is to take the blueprint that you've given us, which has been phenomenal to move forward throughout the state and to just allow there to be a gathering place for the executives, the business owners, uh, the entrepreneurs, and the leaders who truly desire to grow their faith uh, in God and who happen to also love business. And to know that you don't have to separate the two. We know that, you know, church and state has always been uh, the preference for you know how this country has moved forward, but to know that our foundation was always intertwined and uh, to know that you can't really separate the two. We want to make sure that the people who are in business and leading businesses and are in industries that are vital to the sustainability of this country know that they have a place where they can come and be supported in their faith and to grow together, learn together, fellowship together, uh, for us to pray together, and to walk through life together, uh, and truly in, in discipleship, and however that looks for them, and what their needs are, um, I want to make sure that Maryland's chapter is a place where all members, visitors, attendees alike know that they are supported, know that God loves them, and uh, what, whatever we can do to help them grow their faith in God, we're here for that. Yeah, it's really exciting, and it's amazing to see God working through the Northeast. Uh, one of Wynn's neighbors, obviously, is Washington, D.C. We do have a chapter in the uh, Washington, D.C., Virginia area as well. So between what that chapter is going to be doing, all the great stuff that Wynn is starting to do, 
Yeah, wonderful to see God on the move in that part of the world. When, as I figured, our time together is going by very, very quickly. So what I thought maybe in the last uh, minute or two, I, I would love it if you could leave our audience just with some best practices. I mean, we, we've talked a, a good amount about the importance of Jeremiah 29.11, about the importance of knowing God's plan, you know, the philosophizing on the fact that, that God wants to prosper us and not harm us. But if somebody listening today is really just kind of saying to themselves, thinking to myself, you know what, I, I want to spend some more time discerning God's plan for my life. You know what, I want to put away my own ego, my own selfish ambition, and I want to lead lead a life that is 100% in service of Jesus Christ. What two or three tips would you give to that person? Maybe three tips on how this person could go through a process of better discerning what God's plan is for their life and then living that plan out accordingly. I would say um, number one is to establish a relationship with God, a personal relationship where you are reading your Bible and you are in prayer on a consistent basis. And when you read your Bible, uh, like Paul read today, the translation was New International Version. Read a translation that you can understand and that it resonates with you. So that would be my first suggestion is to establish a relationship with God that is personal, that is uh, solely focused around, you know, reading God's word and in prayer and asking God to give you the discernment, the insights uh, and instruct you on what your next steps should be. If you are uh, at a place where you can connect with a ministry and to have fellowship with a physical location or maybe a virtual location, maybe you're being led to, no matter where you are in the world, maybe you might not have a place where you can gather, but um, to connect, that would be my number two suggestion is to find fellowship and to ask God to reveal to you specifically a location, whether it's in person or virtually, of a uh, a ministry that can help you grow in your faith and to connect with others who can help walk alongside you in doing just that. Yeah, those are some excellent tips from a person who really does take uh, this level of discernment very seriously. In closing, what I would do in terms of offering advice, one, if you're interested in learning more about the C-Suite for Christ Maryland chapter, I would encourage you to visit Wynn on her website, which is maryland.csuiteforchrist.com. All the information about her chapter, about her ministries, about when her gatherings are going to be taking place, are all there. And one of the kind of cool things about C-Suite for Christ is you don't just have to be in the Maryland area to partake in these gatherings. Sure, if, if you're there physically, this is the group for you. But maybe you're in New York, New Jersey, Maine, heck, Illinois, and you just want to participate in what she has going on. You can always join her gatherings via live stream. The other thing that I would say, too, now, now this is kind of a, a big step for sure. But like when, if you just feel God is calling you to do more, if you feel that God is calling you to, to be the change that you want to see in the world and to really help win this world back for Christ, starting with these business 
uh, organizations and these various corporate cultures, we'd love to talk to you about becoming a C-Suite for Christ licensee. If you have questions about that, you can ask Win yourself. Again, go to that website that I gave you. Otherwise, go to our main website, which is csuiteforchrist.com, and I'm happy to have a conversation with you as well. In the meantime, Win, it was a blessing to have you on the program. Thank you so much for sharing your words of wisdom with us. And again, I just I, I just cannot tell you how thankful I am that God brought us together because I've I've really enjoyed covering the world in Christ with you up to this point. And I know we're going to do some pretty powerful things together. Yes, Paul, it's been a wonderful time and I'm looking forward to growing uh, with this organization. And um, if anyone has any questions or concerns, definitely reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn as well. If that's a preference of connection for you, I'd love to be able to help you grow in your faith. And um, whatever divine alignment and a divine assignment I can do with you and alongside with you, I'm here for that. Okay, so you all have a, a prosperous and a blessed day, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. Outstanding. That's Wynn Briscoe, president of the C-Suite for Christ Maryland chapter. Don't go away. We're going to come back with some closing thoughts in just a couple of seconds. As we get ready to say goodbye here on another edition of the C-Suite for Christ podcast, boy, howdy, didn't I tell you that Wynn Briscoe was fantastic? What a blessing she's going to be to the C-Suite for Christ family. She's got big plans for C-Suite for Christ Maryland. This organization, her chapter, is going to thrive under her leadership. Don't wait. If you're in the Maryland area, if you're within a stone's throw distance of that state, reach out to her. Find her on LinkedIn, go to their website, but get involved because under her leadership, not only are we going to ensure that God is on the move throughout Maryland, she's going to inspire, touch lives, and together we're going to cover this world in Christ. Very quick recap again today. We're talking about Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Very popular verse. God is the author of your life. God wrote the book of your life. He knows how it ends. I understand you don't know. I understand I don't know how my story's going to end. And without having that degree of certainty, without knowing, well, I'm going to die on this day. I'm, this plan is going to work out. This person is going to betray me. That can lead to some anxiety. That can lead to some worry. That can lead to some doubt. That can hurt our quality of life. Just know that your heavenly father, the person that you worship, the person that I worship, they know how your story ends. And unlike maybe a football game that you you, you TiVo'd that you want to watch, unlike a movie that your friends saw that you haven't yet to see, where you're trying to say, under no circumstance, tell me how this movie ends. God wants you to know every single day over and over exactly how this movie ends. And the good news to you, the good news for me, is that God has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Just remember, though, the world's definition of prosper is different than heaven's definition of prosper. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with money or success or fame or looks or abs or, you know, millions of social media followers. 
It's just whatever you go through in your life, you're going to be fine. You're going to be taken care of. You're going to be provided for. And in a world that likes to tell you how much you suck and how much you don't add up and how you got to do more, it's my prayer that you will rest in that today and you will take solace in that today. If you want to enjoy more rest and solace, we'd love to have you as part of the C-Suite for Christ ministry. Go to our website to learn more, csuiteforchrist.com. I'm Paul M. Newberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ, and we'll see you back here next time. Thank you for joining us on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. People everywhere are thirsting for Christ. Our goal is to cover the world in Christ using hope, encouragement, and God's nourishing words. We hope you'll join us. Please visit csuiteforchrist.com and come back soon for more conversations centered around God's endless love for us all. I saw you in my dreams before I came here I will keep you in my dreams when I leave here I won't forget you, no, no, no I won't forget you You're like one of a kind And my eyes light up when I think about you I won't forget you